Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. We're thrilled to have you here back together for some of you for the first time in over a year. And again, oh, we've already been talking about it. It's just been really cool. Like my face lights up seeing you and, and even some of you when you're back, uh, you know, the tears. You're like, man, I miss being with, with the family of God. And so we're thrilled that you're here um, and taking this step as we enter this next chapter. We know some of you are still online and we welcome that and that's awesome. And, and when you're able uh, to join us again, we look forward to that. Uh, you know, some of you are going to wait a little bit longer. We totally understand that. And also, though, I want to speak to those of you who are online at home right now. And the only reason you're home is because you just really like being in your pajamas with a cup of coffee next to you. And if that's your reason, get down here for the next service. Uh, you know, some of you are like, yeah, that's been me for a while. And I was pretty much enjoying it. But you know what? Being with the family of God, man, there's something that God does with that in us, and it's an important part of our, our, our time together, which is fellowship. So uh, glad you're here. Those of you who can get down here, we want you to join us uh, if you're able. All right, question for you. Which of your emotions are in charge of you? Which of your emotions have a grip on your life? Which of your emotions are, are, have such a grip that they're actually sabotaging, sabotaging your relationships with other people and with God? That's really what we've been talking about in this series. <clears throat> Today, I want to look at what just might be the most soul-crushing identity emotion of all of them, and that's shame. Shame. We've all experienced shame on some level, whether that's just, you know, shame from simple embarrassment to shame that's literally destroying our lives and destroying the relationships around us. We've all experienced shame just on some level. You know, I can remember back when I was in junior high, and, and, and I can remember uh, vividly, actually, uh, going up to the uh, table at lunch, and a bunch of the dudes were sitting there, and I can remember this one person, it was like his line, his thing or whatever, and I can remember I'd show up, and he'd look at me, and he would say this, you're unwanted, so leave. Now, I can tell you, that's how he said it. I can visualize it and hear those words like they just happened. You're unwanted, so leave. We've all experienced shame. And something happened in me when I was in junior high that started to wonder, is something wrong with me? I'm unwanted. I'm unwanted. Now, we've all experienced shame, again, as I've said, in different levels. People tend to think, though, that shame is just an extreme form of guilt, right? It's guilt on steroids. That guilt is feeling bad about something, but shame is actually feeling really bad about something. But actually, even though guilt can produce shame, they're not the same thing. You see, guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. I did something bad. That's guilt. But shame is, I am bad. We connect the who with the what. I did bad, therefore I am bad. But you know, we can also experience shame that has nothing to do with what we've done. That has nothing to do with choices we've made. We might also feel shame because of something that was done to us. For example, 
Some of us might have experienced shame because of something traumatic that's happened in our past. Maybe we were abused. Whether that's physically, mentally, sexually, verbally, we were talked to or we were, we, uh, something happened or we were treat, treated in a way that communicated that we're no good, that we're worthless, that we're damaged. And eventually, that creeped into us, it seeped into our soul, and we began to believe that about ourselves. Shame can also come to us in another form. It can come to us because of something we have no control over. Maybe there's some type of weakness we have. Maybe there's some type of disability. Maybe it has to do with where we were born or our nationality or the color of our skin. Or maybe we have some medical situation that we were born with. Maybe there's infertility. Maybe uh, there's a divorce because uh, our spouse cheated on us to no fault of our own. You had no control over it. And that can lead you to experience shame. Christian counselor Ed Welch says it this way. He said, shame is the deep sense that you are inherently flawed, that you are unacceptable, that you're unworthy of love because of something you've done or something done to you or a something that's just associated with you. And here's the problem. When shame begins to take over, when shame gets to be in charge of us, when it becomes the boss of us, of our emotions, we eventually put words to it. And those words soak in and seep in so deep that they become our identity. I'm defective. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm flawed. I'm dirty. I'm ugly. I'm impure. I'm unlovable. I'm weak. I'm pitiful. I'm insignificant. I'm worthless. I'm unwanted. For some of us, there's been a a person or people in our lives who have attempted to control us through shame, whether our parents or a friend or a boss or a church leader or a coach, a professor. Somebody who has tried to make you feel bad about yourself as a way to get control over you. So they communicated a message that you're lazy, that you're no good, that you're ignorant, that you're a terrible student, that you're an awful parent, that you're a liar, and a big one going around now that you're a racist. And when shame is in charge of you, when shame takes over, when it's the boss of you, we adopt a shame-based mindset. And when we adopt this shame-based mindset, here's what happens. Here's how it begins to impact us. First of all, shame can lead us to a hopeless perfectionism. Because we have this sense inside that we're trying to overcome our shame. And the way we do that for some is we say, I got to be flawless. No errors. I got to be perfect. I got to be right. I can't make any mistakes. And where this leads for some of the, uh, one of the side effects of shame-based thinking as it uh, pertains to perfectionism, it is very difficult for us to actually admit when we have done something wrong, when we were wrong about something. It's hard for us to admit if we've actually messed up. In fact, do a quick scan of your life. Maybe the last year or two or three or five, ten. When was the last time you admitted out loud to somebody that you were wrong? I mean, I want you to really think about this. Some of you, 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 this is not an issue for you, but there's others. When you really think about it, 
you have a hard time saying you were wrong. When it was legitimately something you were wrong about or you did mess up and because you associate it with, oh, I'm bad. If I mess up, if I'm not perfect, shame, 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 shame. So I could never admit it. Shame can also lead to us being critical and harshly criticizing others and ourselves. And when you suffer from a shame and shame-based thinking, it's, you get just really hard on yourself because you have this deep dislike about who you are. And so then you just end up being hard on others. And so whenever you see your faults or your, or your issues mirrored in other people, it leads to us just getting judgmental. It's almost the self-loathing. And this type of person, and they come across as arrogant. They come across as self-righteous. But in reality, they're dealing with some she- secret shame. You know what shame also can do to us? A shame-based thinking, it produces in us helpless feelings. These feelings cause us to focus on the worst possible outcomes. Where we always go, we, just, we have this always mentality, I always know something bad is going to happen. You're having a great day, but it's like, no, something's coming. Something's coming, I just know it. They're never going to like me. Why bother? I'm never going to have a good relationship. It's going to fall apart. I'm never going to get that promotion. I'm never going to amount to anything. You assume the worst because deep down there's this shame that you've been telling yourself that you are the worst. All of these self-defeating thoughts, what do they do? They end up sabotaging us. Our emotions, they end up sabotaging the relationships that matter the most to us our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and with others. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about a story in the Bible about this woman who was consumed with shame. And Jesus lifted her out of that. We're going to go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, you can begin to turn there now. In a physical Bible, if you have one, Luke chapter 8, or you can go on your phone, version Bible app, you get there, and all of our notes are there, and you can track along there. We find some answers in this. For us, if we're dealing with shame, and shame is in charge, and shame is the boss of us. I'm going to start in verse 40. Luke chapter 8, verse 40, it says this. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. Now, I told you our story is about a woman, but it doesn't start with a woman. It actually starts with a man named uh, excuse me, Jairus. And this is really important for us because this is setting up a contrast. We're going to have this man, Jairus, and we're going to have this woman. And it tells us what about him, that he's a leader. He's a ruler of the synagogue. So he comes to Jesus, verse 41, and following at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. Now, grown men in this culture, not even really in our culture, but especially in that culture, grown men, especially rulers, especially leaders, you would never fall at another person's feet. But this person's extremely desperate, obviously. So something's going on that he would fall at Jesus' feet. And he does that. Why? Verse 42. For he only had one daughter about 12 years of age. Say 12 years. Very important for our story. 12 years of age. And she was, notice what it says, she was dying. So he's begging Jesus. He's on his knees. Jesus, come heal my daughter. Verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So there's a crowd. And they're pressed in. That means this is close quarters. There's a crowd all around him. There's no room. Everyone's touching him. Verse 43. And there was a woman 
who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Say 12 years. 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So this woman, she has a disease, some kind of something going on with her medically where she just has this uncontrollable menstrual flow, which means she has been suffering severely and chronically for 12 years. It also means she's been unable to have children. And according to ceremonial, Jewish ceremonial law, when it comes to blood, it means she was unclean. I want you to think about something for a minute. She was ceremonially unclean before the people and before God. So what does that mean? It's hard for us to grasp that today, but here's what it means. It means she wasn't allowed in public for 12 years. It means she hadn't been a part of public worship for 12 years. All she could do is watch synagogue online. Except that wasn't an option back then. It means nobody has touched her for 12 years. They don't want to end up unclean. You know what that means? Nobody's hugged her for 12 years. Nobody's laid a hand on her for 12 years to pray with her. You know, as you've been coming back to church or getting more involved, some of you, Today was the first time you've hugged somebody outside of your immediate family in over a year. Or shook a hand in over a year. But this woman's 12 years. No touch. No connection. She's an outcast. She's lonely. One of the interesting details that Luke leaves or tells us is what's not here. We don't have her name. We know Jairus' name. And we know what he does, but Luke is making, I think, an important point here. He's letting us know that Jairus is well-known and visible, but she is invisible to people. Can you imagine all the shame that is going on in her life? And there's just, there's so much contrast here in the story between this woman and between Jairus. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. She's not allowed in the synagogue. He's respected. She's been rejected. His is a household name that everybody knows, but nobody knows her name. And yet, they both need Jesus just the same. Jairus has, Jairus has his daughter. She's the joy of his life. She's how old? 12 years old, and she's deathly sick. This woman has this discharge that has made her dead to the community for how long? For 12 years. Verse 44, so she came up behind Jesus and she touched the fringe of his garment. Now that word touched, not really a good translation. It literally means that she clutched it. She grabbed it. She held on to it. It was like a rope that she was tugging. Verse 44, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Question, do you think Jesus know who it was that touched him? A lot of us would say absolutely he knew. So why did he ask? Well, we know in a moment as we look through this story, he wants her to identify herself. Remember, she's been hiding. She's been isolated. There's been a lot of shame. 
Peter steps in. He does the usual Peter thing. Verse 45, Master, what do you mean who touched you? The crowds surround you and they're pressing in on you. Jesus is like, oh, that's a good point, Petey boy. I guess I didn't think about it. That's not what he said. Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceive that power, say power. Power has gone out from me. There's so many verses in the Bible that are just fascinating to me. This is one of them. This is a, like, I almost want to do a sermon just on this verse about the possibilities of what this means. There's hundreds, if not thousands of people who are around right now, and they're touching Jesus. Remember, everyone's pressing in. But what's different here? I mean, they're all touching him at some point. But we know, and we're going to see it in a moment, this is a touch of faith. I suspect the same thing happens here at church every single week. Many of us are touched by a little bit of worship here, a little bit of worship there, listen to the, to the sermon, you know, we're, we're, we're paying attention a little bit. We're online, you know, we're watching the service, service. We might, you know, grab our phone, pay attention, kind of pay attention. Uh, you know, we're doing all that, maybe even focus, you know, there's this little touch. But there's some of us that we come before God in our private time, in our holy closet, if you will, or come here on a Sunday morning. There are some of us who come before God and we reach out and we grab a hold and we grab a hold of God in faith. And when we grab a hold of God in faith, what does scripture say? Power comes to us. Again, that's just me kind of preaching a little bit here, thinking about the implications of what this verse could mean. But I do know this. If I, again, I don't want to take it too far. I don't want to get out of the text here and just start. But part of me wonders, it just wonders, would we begin to experience the power of God more if we reached out and held on to God in faith more? Isn't that possible? The power of God is available to us. Power's gone out for me. That means to me, all these people, all of us, God wants to release his power. He just does. But he's waiting for a reach of faith, a tug of faith. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, say the word hidden. She wasn't hidden anymore. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. She let it out. And how she had been immediately healed. And she's trembling right now. She's terrified. Can you imagine this? Because the last thing she wanted was to be exposed, especially in front of this famous rabbi. Here's the deal with shame. Our shame always wants to be hidden. Always. She wanted to slip in, touch his garment, get healed, slip out. But now what's going to happen? She's not hidden anymore. Is she now just going to be humiliated and rejected again in front of this crowd? And she's going to be one of those stories because Jesus is famous, and then people are going to stop t- start talking about her and her shame. Well, I would suggest to you that what happens next is one of the more profound stories in the, in the Gospels, one of the most profound moments in the Gospel, because it answers the most basic question that you and I ultimately have with, with, with faith, with God, with religion. 
And the question is this, and maybe you haven't thought of it this way, maybe some of you have. What is it like when I stand exposed, no longer hidden, before a holy and righteous God, and I stand before him with my sin and with my shame and with my mess and with my ugliness, with all my junk, what happens when I stand before a holy God? What happens? Verse 48, and he said to her, daughter, no condemnation here. He doesn't say, it doesn't say, hey, stranger. It doesn't say ma'am or even sister or friend or yo. <laughs> Think about this for a moment. This is, this is an incredible moment. This person that has been alone, that nobody wanted to be near. Jesus looks at her and says, you're a precious daughter of mine. You're my child. You're my family. This is a term of endearment, the ultimate term of endearment. I think about my daughter, and I think about the names that I call her. Precious, little love of mine, monkey girl, sweet angel, sweet angel pie, my love, love doll, sugar pie. Callie, are you in here? Did I cover all of them? There might be one or two more. They all mean something. Jairus is this dad who's pleading the cause of his 12-year-old daughter before Jesus. And here you have this woman for the last 12 years that nobody has pleaded her cause. And so Jesus steps in and says, I'm going to plead it for you. Daughter, daughter, I see you. Daughter, I'm reaching out to you. And he's not going to let her just get a miracle in secret. Because though he will heal her physically, more important than a physical healing, he also wants her to know something that matters more than anything, and that you are loved. You are accepted. You are cherished. You matter. I love you just like you are. She no longer has to hide in shame. So Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Remember, this was a touch of faith. What we were talking about earlier, pulling and grabbing that garment. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Man, when shame is in control and the boss of us, there isn't a lot of peace going on inside. Jesus understands that. He says, go in peace. Jesus didn't just heal her physically. He healed her emotionally and spiritually, mentally. He healed the inside of her. Inside physically. Inside spiritually. Isaiah says this about Jesus. It says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That Jesus would bear his sins upon him, our sins upon himself. But he also said something interesting, that Jesus would carry our shame. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 4 says to you and I, fear not. See, when shame's involved, there's a whole lot of fear. Very deep. It keeps it secret. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. And you're wrapped up in shame, man. There's just, you just feel disgraced and disgraceful. So no, no, fear not. Fear not. You no longer have to live in shame. Jesus took this woman's uncleanliness to himself. So she went home in peace to her family. What did Jesus eventually do? He headed towards the cross where he was hung up in shame for our shame. So, 
to those of us where shame is in our life and has a hold of us and a grip on us because of something that we've done or mistakes that we've made. When you touch Jesus in faith, when you reach out to him in faith, he takes your guilt, he takes the penalty of your sin, he takes it upon himself. The righteousness of Jesus goes upon us and gives us new life, and we can go in peace. And to those whose shame has come upon us because of something that was done to us, Jesus' response to us is the same response to this woman. He calls you daughter. He calls you son. I see you. You're mine. You matter to me. I love you. You have an identity. And it's not what you've been saying about yourself or what others have been saying about you. It's what I say about you, who I call you, what I say about you. You're my daughter. You're my child. You're not what others have said about you. You're not even what you say about yourself. You are what Jesus declares over you. He calls you his child, his son, his daughter. In other words, you're not damaged. You're not second rate. You're not unworthy. You're not unloved. You're precious. You're precious to him. She went home in peace, and so I would suggest to you, so can you. You can go home in peace. You don't have to listen to the voices of others. You don't have to listen to your own voice. You don't have to relive your past. You don't have to get wrapped up in that and listen to those voices in your head. You can listen to what Jesus has said about you. So how do we do it? How do we get there? How do we move forward? How do we receive healing from the shame that has had this grip over us, that has been destroying us and destroying our relationship with God and our relationship with others? Christian counselors will say that Three things need to happen for us. And we actually see those in this story. And so for those who are stuck in shame, it has a grip on you. It's the boss of you or it creeps its ugly head up often in you. First of all, they tell us that we need to share our story. It's time to come out from the shadows. You see, shame thrives in secrecy. Remember, she realized she was no longer what? Remember the word? It starts with an H. Anybody remember that? No longer hidden. So share your story. Share your story. The majority of people around you, there might be some who've been part of your shame story and caused you to have some of that shame, but maybe not them, but the majority of people will draw alongside of you and will love you and care about you and encourage you. Author and speaker Brene Brown, a Christian author, she says this. She calls this speaking your shame. She says that when you and I begin to verbalize our shame, it diffuses shame's secret power. So let's tell somebody about our past abuse or deal honestly with the words or the insults that you have endured that eventually became part of your identity. Talk about how that diagnosis has made you feel and what it's done to you. Expose or verbalize that self-doubt. Share your insecurities that have come because of what's happened to you, what's been done to you. Maybe there's something really secret in your life. There's a fear in your life. Share that. Maybe there's a secret sin that it's time to confess. Maybe there's a weakness 
that's been destroying you, but you've been holding on to it, and somehow, some way, you, because it, it, it's a weakness, it's just become your identity, and you just need someone to draw alongside of you and encourage you and say, man, bro, sister, that's your weakness, there's my weakness, man, we all got them. Somehow, that turned into shame for you. Maybe there's a prolonged addiction, and you can't shake it, and you've identified yourself by that addiction. It's time to share like this woman, to bring it out from hiding. Jesus is calling us to speak our shame. At life point, I want you to know something. It's okay to not be okay. I mean, it really is. And I know we always don't feel that way, and you say, Chris, that's not my experience. I'm telling you, this is our desire. This is the desire of the leadership. This is the desire of most of us in this church. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to share your story. And people will draw alongside of you and be there for you. Because I recognize, and I think most of our, us recognize, the church is full of broken people who need to be healed by Jesus, not healed by ourselves and what we do. He's the one who does the healing. It's okay to not be okay. If you're stuck in shame, not only do you speak your story and share your truth, but you let God lift your head. This woman, she's looking to the ground in shame. And Jesus picks her up, lifts her head, and calls her daughter. Psalm chapter 3 says, You, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. The power of the gospel is that when you say yes to Jesus in faith, God lifts up your head. He declares you righteous. It's a gift, the Bible says. He gives you and I new life. He gives us a new identity. The old has gone. The new has come, Scripture says. That's the power of the gospel. And even though we have an enemy, the Bible calls him Satan, the evil one. And even though we have an enemy and the scriptures say he's the accuser of the brethren, so we have that enemy sending these voices at us, calling us what we are not. And we have our own internal struggles that we're sending voices and then maybe people around us, they're sending us these messages. Jesus says, you are not any of that. You are who I say you are. So that you can say, shame, you're not in charge of me. Shame, you're not the boss of me. I'm not going to let you warp my identity any longer. So that you can say, I am not what others say I am. I'm not what I say about myself. I'm not what somebody did to me. That you can say to yourself and you can speak the truth, I am not defective, I'm not damaged, I'm not broken, I'm not flawed, I'm not dirty, I'm not ugly, I'm not impure, I'm not disgusting, I'm not unlovable, I'm not weak, I'm not pitiful, I'm not insignificant, I'm not weak, I'm not worthless, and I'm definitely not unwanted. Who am I? You can say to yourself, I'm a child of God, redeemed, forgiven, free, set free. I am healed. I am brand new. I'm chosen. I'm changed. I'm transformed. I'm blessed by God. I'm beloved. I'm complete. I'm a child of God. The lifter of your head is here. Lean into him. And then finally, if we're stuck in shame, then man, the counselors would say it's time to be restored to a loving community can't do this on our own. 
You need a community of people around you. That's what the church of God is. It's a community of people, broken people who needed Jesus. It's okay to not be okay. And we'll go on this journey together as we're all seeking to try to let the identity that we have in Christ rule and reign in our life rather than shame and all the other voices trying to accuse us and say we are what we did. Jesus, no, no, you are who I say you are. You're my child. So you need people around you who God can use to help encourage you as you speak your story, as you speak your shame. And God will use that because the road to healing begins as we speak it, as we bring it out from the shadows so that it's no longer hidden. It was hidden for that woman for how long? Twelve years. Some of you might have been dealing with shame for 12 years, 24 years, 36 years. God says, let's bring it out. We're not going to keep it hidden anymore. Speak it. So do you need to do that this week? Is God calling you to reach out to somebody you can trust? Say, man, here it is. I'm not going to keep it hidden anymore. I'm bringing it out of the shadows. Open up and speak it. And when you do, you'll hear the voice of your Savior. Lift your head as he says to you, oh, my child, I love you, my daughter, my son. I love you just like you are. You're not what the enemy says you are. You're not who you say you are. You are who I say you are. So let's all declare shame. You are not in charge of me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Go before your heavenly father right now and say, God, I come before you now. And God, I want to declare these words. Shame, you're not in charge of me. God, help me to believe this. God, help me to receive the truth that I am who you say I am. That I'm, a, I'm your precious child. God, hear our prayers. And I want to invite you right now. You and God have a moment together. He already knows. It's not a surprise. But how about you declare your shame to him right now? You haven't said it out loud. You haven't talked about it. You and God right now say, God, here's my shame. Tell him. He's waiting. He already knows. But he wants you to identify it like her. Speak your shame. God, as we do this, God, heal us, restore us, reconcile us. God, we don't want to be identified by our shame. We want to be identified as your child. So do a mighty miracle of healing in our life this week. God, give us somebody we can talk to who will be safe, who understands it's okay to not be okay. And use that person, Lord, to be Jesus with skin on to help us in our journey of healing. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for our new identity in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. 
Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.